When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of How to Win 2024. It's Thursday, December 14th. I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and I'm here with my co-host, Claire McCaskill. Hi, Claire. Hey, Jen. Uh, It's been a big week in the fight for women's rights and bodily autonomy. The Texas Supreme Court decided not to allow a pregnant woman whose fetus was diagnosed with a fatal condition access to an abortion in that state. You know, our friend Mika Brzezinski did a really great viral diatribe, correct word to use in this instance, um, about how unjust it was. So why isn't this woman in the OR right now getting the life-saving health care she needs? Because the Texas attorney general, not a doctor, not a scientist, an aging white far-right Republican male, believes he knows what should happen with Kate's body. And the decision outraged activists and has become one of the highest profile abortion cases since Roe v. Wade was overturned. So today we're going to talk about this and the broader impact of the abortion fight on 2024. We're going to be joined with yet another person I always, this is the woman I call when I want to talk about women in politics and abortion in politics, Christina Reynolds, the Senior Vice President of Communications and Content for Emily's List. Yeah, so for anybody who is not familiar with what Emily's List is, it is an organization that recruits and helps fund Democratic women who are pro-choice. And a fun fact about Emily's List, it is an acronym and it stands for Early Money is Like Yeast. And it began in 1985. Um, There were just a handful of women, including the founder, Ellen Malcolm, and people like Barbara Boxer and Donna Shalala. Yeah. Since 1985, they have raised hundreds and millions of dollars for pro-choice candidates, and they have been up to their elbows in politics for all of those years and have done an, an amazing job. They were huge supporters of mine, and frankly, there were some elections I'm not sure I would have gotten across the finish line if it wasn't for Emily's List. So we want her to talk about the outrage this week, the pain we all felt when we saw that decision in Texas, realizing that there were people in robes that were forcing their judgment on a woman and having the nerve to call her abortion an elective abortion when her fetus had been diagnosed with a fatal defect and her reproductive health was threatened directly by carrying this fetus to term. So um, look forward to talking about that. By the way, there was another outrage this week I think we need to mention in passing before we dig in, and mm-hmm. that is the outrage that the House did, in <laughs> fact, approve an impeachment inquiry with no evidence of impeachment-related offense. And by the way, this was admitted by m- more than a handful of Republicans that they have no evidence. I mean, it was 
almost comical to listen to the debate and their inability to articulate a reason for why this is moving forward. Yeah, well, there's just one reason. They think they can just muddy the waters and yeah. somehow have some of it, you know, splash up on splash Joe Biden, up on Joe Biden. which is yeah. ironic because, you know, when I was in the Senate, Joe Biden was one of the few Senate members who really wasn't wealthy. And he may have made some money after he finished uh, his term as vice president, but this was never a guy who was in public service for the money. And they're not going to be able to prove he did anything wrong because they've been trying for a year with over 100,000 documents and, you know, 36,000 pages of bank records. So uh, this is truly a just a brazen political theater they're doing, and it makes me sick. I'm not as sick as the abortion decision in Texas, but right. sick nonetheless. It doesn't, you're right. I mean, the abortion stuff in Texas is just like rage at your core. Uh, Mika, again, put it so well. Consequences be damned. That's Ken's choice. Ken has choices. Kate does not. Ken is choosing to block Kate's health care once again by threatening legal action against any doctor who performs Kate's life-saving abortion. Kate Cox does not have any choice in this matter. Um, fortunately, she left the state. She's apparently getting the health care that she needs, but it just, like, fills me with outrage. And, like, by the way, though, like, let me just admit it on the <laughs> impeachment. Donald Trump doesn't want to be the only candidate in the general election who was impeached. Like, it's all a vanity thing for him. Meanwhile, what we know is impeachment votes generally accrue to the candidate's benefit, right? When Bill Clinton was impeached, his approval rating went up. I'm sorry to say when Donald Trump was impeached, his approval rating went up. So this is like not fun and it's painful and it's a big waste of time and the House should be passing, I don't know, aid for Ukraine, aid for Israel, dealing with the border and not this. But I don't know that it will ultimately hurt Biden in 24. But... Before that, we're going to share our picks for this week's winners and losers, including special counsel Jack Smith leapfrogging the lower courts to take the issue of presidential immunity directly to the Supreme Court and the former president's election interference case. And we'll talk about how redistricting efforts from Republicans and Democrats will impact voters across the country in next year's election. Okay, and then we're going to send you off with the spotlight on climate change and the big conference, the COP28 conference, the United Nations conference that happened in Dubai uh, over the last few weeks and what happened there and how it will impact winning in 2024. Okay, let's get to winners. All right, losers. who's your winner? Yeah, who's your winner this week? Well, it's Jack Smith, um, and but with an asterisk now because we had some developments after we decided it was Jack Smith that make me a little worried. He decided to take the question of immunity, which Trump has now raised in every time he's been accused of anything. He's like, well, I'm God. I never can be charged with anything. Um, and so he's raised immunity saying everything he did, he did while he was in office in terms of the obstruction, and therefore he has immunity. Jack Smith has asked the Supreme Court to take this directly on an expedited basis. The Supreme Court has, in fact, said that Trump must respond to this filing next week. And so I was feeling pretty good that, you know, the Supreme Court would weigh in with what I think is an easy legal decision, mm -hmm. and that is that a president is not above the law. And off we go. And it's happened quickly, and then we can still get to a trial in March. Then the Supreme Court, I think, in somewhat a surprising turn, took a case from someone who was convicted in the J6 cases on the obstruction charge, which is a statute that was 
really came about because of a white-collar crime situation involving the production of records and involving records and so forth. And this guy is alleging that this obstruction charge is not appropriate, that the crime here did not fit that statute. And the Supreme Court has taken it. And it means that if, in fact, they find in favor of this guy and say, yeah, this statute really doesn't fit in this instance, that means not only will a number of convictions be thrown out that DOJ obtained from those who rioted that day in the Capitol, two of the four charges of Donald Trump would also be thrown out. And it would hinder Jack Smith's ability to introduce some of the evidence that is key to showing intent and showing Trump's overall conduct as it related to the charges. So he's a winner for trying to leapfrog this and get it going and get the trial by March 4th, but now we have a wrinkle. What about loser for you, Jen? Well, the Republicans in uh, redistricting, you know, all the redistricting was supposed to have been completed, resolved by the 2022 elections. There are a lot of court challenges that are still outstanding. So, you know, just a level set. GOP's got a very thin majority, plus four. But now that George Santos is gone, it's three and a half, I guess, because that that seat is open. But the 2024 map is still unsettled. In North Carolina, for example, the Republicans did push through an aggressive gerrymandering of the state this fall that would help them flip several seats in Congress. So what they did was pack as many Democratic voters as possible into three blue districts while distributing Republicans across the districts to make sure they largely remain out of reach for the Democrats. So basically 10 out of the 14 new congressional districts favor Republicans in North Carolina. But in New York, the high court gave Democrats a very big advantage in the fight for control of the House this week by vacating the ultra-competitive court-drawn congressional map that was used in the midterms. I mean, this is why Mike Johnson is speaker today, is because of what happened in New York and the seats that the Republicans picked up there, the four House seats that they picked up there, right? That is actually the margin. And what happened this week was the high court in New York threw out that map, and this process, ultimately now controlled by Democrats, does mean that that there will be a lot more competitive seats for New York. You know, you, you can't quite count one for one that that the Democrats are going to pick up four, but those newly elected Republicans are very much in danger now. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to be joined by my longtime friend and um, colleague multiple times over. We worked at the Obama White House together. We worked on two presidential campaigns together. She is among the best uh, strategists when it comes to defining issues and how you talk about it and also in uplifting women. So these are two things that are core to us. So we'll be joined by Christina Reynolds from Emily's List. She's going to talk to us about high-profile abortion cases since the fall of Roe v. Wade and what it can mean for voters across the country. We'll be right back. You don't need a lot of money to do more with it. Join Padma Lakshmi, Viola Davis, and Fidelity's Women Talk Money team during our free Women's History Month series as we get real about ways you can start planning and saving for the future you want so you can feel good about your money every step of the way. Save your seat today at fidelity.com slash WHM. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, member NYSE, SIPC. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. 
With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Welcome back. A woman in Texas has been battling the state to terminate her high-risk pregnancy. We're talking about Kate Cox, a 31-year-old mom of two who filed a lawsuit to end a pregnancy both she and her doctors say threaten her life and future fertility. But earlier this week, the Texas Supreme Court ruled against her, and she left Texas to pursue the procedure in a state where it's legal. Joining us to discuss this case, political implications in Texas, people who might be running for office in Texas to stop this kind of action, and how abortion and politics are going to play out in 2024 is Christina Reynolds, Senior Vice President for Communications and Content at EMILY's List. Christina, great to have you with us. I spent a little time talking about the background of EMILY's List. They identify pro-choice Democratic women across the country that are running for office. They endorse them, and then they solicit donations on their behalf, and people can give directly to Emily's List, and then that money is passed on to the candidates that they have vetted and endorsed. And I got huge help from them in my career, especially when I began running for statewide office. So they're a very important organization in the campaign ecostructure and will be a very big part of how to win in 2024. Um, let's talk about Texas. Uh, we want to get into the IPs that are going on around the country and how they're going to impact the battleground states particularly. But talk about Texas a little bit. And Christina, if you would, walk us through judicial elections. And um, I'm curious whether or not Emily's List will consider getting involved in these Texas Supreme Court races that are going to occur next year, where three of these people who did this to this woman will be on the ballot. You know, I think we're keeping our eyes on on a lot of different races. And as you may know, endorsed in our first judicial race just this past year to flip the Wisconsin Supreme Court with Justice Janet Prezeowitz. I think what this Texas case shows most clearly It is a tragic case, and I am glad that Kate Cox was able to get the care that she needed, but that she had to go through this as a tragedy. But it shows so clearly what's at stake here. The question is not, can we compromise around this? It's not how many weeks or anything like that. It is who gets to decide, who gets to make these decisions. And in Texas, Ken Paxton, the attorney general, and the Texas Supreme Court decided that they got to decide after some legislators decided that they got to decide. And so I think we all need to keep in mind, there are offices up and down the ballot that want to make your healthcare decisions, your family decisions for you. And you need to get involved in all of those races. I think, as you noted, the Texas Supreme Court decided, unfortunately, that they knew better than Kate Cox's doctors as to her future and what kind of care she needed. The good news is, we were just on yesterday with the Texas Democratic Party. They have recruited people to run against every one of those justices. And they are recruiting people to run across 
across the country. And I think it's an important thing. I heard my state party chair, Anderson Clayton, on the podcast a couple weeks ago, getting Democrats to run in a lot of these seats and making sure that we are contesting everywhere is really important because your rights are on the ballot everywhere. So, Christina, in watching, you know, like what Ken Paxton did, the court rules that the exemption should be made here, that the sort of health exemption that they have in their six-week abortion ban, that test is met here and she should be able to get an abortion. And then Ken Paxton steps in to say no. You know, at one level, I was like, God, I just can't believe that he would do that because you'd think the backlash would be so fierce to him for doing that. Maybe not in Texas, or at least with some women in Texas. But do you think that that is the point here? Are what they trying to do is make the process as horrible as possible so fewer women are willing to challenge it in court because they don't want to go through what Kate Cox was put through? Yes. I mean, I listen, I try not to get in the head of some of these Republicans because that seems like yeah. a scary place. But it certainly seems like they are putting, and they've done this for years, right? We remember making women wait. This is still the case in many states, right? Making women right. wait a day, which is particularly costly for people who have to take off work or travel to get abortion care. Making doctors have different privileges, things like that. Everything that they are doing is aimed at making this so difficult that people won't try it, that they can't try it, that they can't get over those hurdles. Something that is fundamentally should be your right, they want to make as hard as possible. Yeah, and interestingly, you know, what what Paxton did that was really interesting, and that's why the the Supreme Court decision, and keep in mind, everybody, this was a pure curiam decision. And in legal talk, that means that the judges did not sign it. So none of them were brave, um, and if any of them disagreed Meaning they with wouldn't it, they put their name on it, right? They, they didn't want to. They didn't want to put anybody's name on it. But they could have, if they wanted to, that one or more of them could have disagreed, or written something to say we disagree with this opinion. Nothing required them to remain silent. But the interesting thing to me was that Paxton wrote the hospitals immediately and threatened them with civil and criminal action if they moved forward with an abortion that had been approved by a court. So what he was doing there, and that's why this semantic salad that the Supreme Court decision was so offensive, is they said, oh, well, she can have an abortion today if she wants to. Her doctor just has to say blah, 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 blah. Well, no, he has set a tone and an atmosphere in the state that means every healthcare provider is going to avoid at all costs giving the health care they think is necessary because of the position that Paxton took after this lower court decision, allowing this woman to make a gut-wrenching, horrible decision she had to make. Gut-wrenching. I mean, she has children. She wants more children. Uh, she has a child that has been diagnosed with a fatal abnormality. Fatal and and these guys are all sitting around saying, well, yeah, we know better. And by the way, if you try to do anything, even if the court says you can, we're going to try to put you in jail for it. So they are creating an environment in as many states as possible where the exceptions are no longer valid because the healthcare providers are being advised by lawyers don't go near the exceptions. 
That's right. And I think it's an important thing to remember because we have already seen what they're trying to do. They are trying to rebrand their position politically, right? When it comes to campaigns, we saw it with Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. It didn't work, but we've seen it elsewhere. Trump is trying it. The guy who takes credit for overturning Roe is also trying to say that he might be a little more moderate if he came in. He might not sign a federal abortion ban. Do not believe it because we know what they're doing. We know what their agenda is. As my friend Jennifer Palmieri would say, this is not a comms problem, Republicans. You have a problem problem. You have an agenda problem. You have the fact that this is what they're doing. You look in Missouri, where they are trying to prosecute a woman who had a miscarriage. They have made this so difficult. And I saw a pundit note somewhere that because of HIPAA laws and because of all of the the scare tactics that you mentioned, Senator McCaskill, I believe there are so many more cases like this that we'll never hear of because people will just not try. That's their goal. That's what they're aiming for. They're just going to try and convince us during the election that it's not what they're aiming for. Right, right. And clearly they are. And they've gone, you know, in my state, in other states, they've gone so far, they've lost the vast majority of voters. Now, if we can hold them accountable for that and get measures on the ballots like we have in Ohio and Kansas and other places, talk about that effort. And mm-hmm. let's let's zone in on Florida because Florida is a big deal for many reasons. It's a big deal because of the presidential race. It's mm-hmm. a big deal because I believe Florida swung hard to the right and is having second thoughts about it, mm-hmm. a la... Mm-hmm. These boots are made for walking, Ron DeSantis. Uh, but weren't they cute? They were so cute, Ron. They were really adorable. We're we talking about the white. We're talking about the white. No, ones? we're talking about oh, the white no, boots. The... the boy, the boy, put on white sissy boots, and meanwhile, he's trying to make everyone who is gay or lesbian or trans in Florida be afraid to live their lives fully. So. Um, what's going on in Florida and is, are they having it easier? I mean, we're having a mess. It's a mess in Missouri right now. I mean, it's just, it's very discouraging to me. I don't want to go into it, but it's a mess. Uh, is Florida a mess or do they have their act together? Do they have language? Is it good language? Is it language that has been poll tested? Tell us what's going on down there. Well, well, first, I'd like to say I love coming on this podcast because we're talking about men's fashion and politics, which is not what you normally of course. get, right? Um, uh, so thank you for that. You know, I will confess that there are a number of wonderful groups that are doing this work on the ground, and we don't do ballot initiatives. But my understanding is Florida has not made it easy to put this on the ballot. There are a number of hoops that you have to jump through, but they are jumping through them. It's a, it's a very large bar for um, signatures, but my understanding is they feel like they're on track to get to meet that bar and are working towards putting the good language on the ballot, which is important because not just you noted, um, obviously, the presidential race. We've also got a Senate race there. Rick Scott is is against abortion as they come. And Debbie Mukersell Powell will absolutely support our rights. And we know with the Joe Manchin retirement, we've got to put some wins and some pickups on the map. And I think Florida is a good one. And this is something that we know turns out voters and turns out voters that matter, right? And particularly can help Democrats win. It's younger voters. It's women, right? These are people who may not come out 
if they aren't inspired, they got inspired in 2022 and, and they have been inspired in the Kentucky governor's race, in Ohio, in the Kansas, all of the ballot initiatives. So Virginia, um, you know, that's right. And so um, Florida, listen, I work for Al Gore. I am always a little bit nervous about Florida, but the folks doing the work on the ground are doing amazing work. So we're going to keep on rooting for them. So a couple of things about Florida, just for people's background, that the Supreme Court is considering with the Florida Supreme Court, whether to let the state's 15-week ban remain in effect if the court rules to let it remain, a six-week ban will take effect shortly after. This was what DeSantis signed, right? So the abortion right groups are pushing to get this abortion measure on the ballot so that it would override the six-week ban and the 15-week ban. And I would note that I know some very high-ranking Democrats that think it's important to get this on the ballot in Florida for the reasons Christina said about the Senate race, possibility of, you know, Biden. We know that President Biden is, like, focused on Florida. He's not giving up on that. And it changes the electorate, to your point, right? It changes the people who turn out to vote. And I would remind people that shortly after Ron DeSantis signed the six-week abortion ban in Florida, Donna Deegan won the Jacksonville's mayor's race, which which was a big surprise, big turnout. Uh, Democrat won that race. And choice was part of her message. was seen as a referendum on the six-week ban. So, like, it could be a powerful thing in Florida, too. Um, Christina, what? Okay, so so Trump is trying to moderate his language around abortion. Uh, Nikki Haley has tried to moderate her language around abortion. It's a lot of like moderate word salad. They don't actually say anything. But what is the sharpest retort to when when Trump and other Republicans are trying to walk away from their record on abortion? What's the best way to, to present the threat that they are to voters? Well, First and foremost, I think every reporter and every debate should ask this question. Would you sign it if Congress passes it? And we know Mike Johnson. A national abortion ban, you mean? A national abortion ban, yes. Mike Johnson, the, the new Speaker of the House, signed on to a bill that bans abortion at conception. That's a total ban for those, you know, counting at home. This year, right? This is, we know what the House will do if they're given the chance. And if they feel like they have a Senate that will support it. And so if you guys win Congress, would you sign a federal abortion ban? I will tell you the answer for every single one of them is yes. Nikki Haley has all but admitted it. She has said, she's never said she's opposed to it. She has said, I just don't think it's it, it can get passed. But Haley, Donald Trump, every other candidate on that stage, but like Ron DeSantis, have all said they would support a federal abortion ban, then they walk it back at other points. Jennifer, you remember, you know, back in 2016, Donald Trump said he would punish women and doctors for abortions. Donald Trump said he would overturn Roe and he did it. And so I, we need to remember where they are. Again, the fundamental issue here is what they want, which is they want government to make these decisions for us. And we don't. And voters don't either. Voters could not be more clear on that. Whether they personally support abortion, they believe that people should get their own 
decisions and that they should be able to work with doctors. And so I think we all need to be doing the work of lifting up cases like what's happening in Texas, like what's happening in Missouri. All of these examples, we saw that in the Kentucky race. Um, There was a really powerful ad of someone calling out Daniel Cameron for his position. We need to lift that up. We need to support groups that will do the same. And we need to call out when the media gives them a pass. We see too many headlines where someone says, you know, gets a little bit of a break, you know, or says, I don't know. And then they say, moderates position. No, they haven't. They're trying to fool voters. Yeah, like Nikki Haley, it was bizarre to me. I mean, she has a terrible record as it relates to women's freedom over their reproductive choices. And then because she said we need to have compassion, all of a sudden, (laughs) you know, she was like, oh, my God, Nikki Haley, isn't she great? She's She has compassion. She gets Um, it. No. She said at one point, you and I can come to agreement. And I, you know, I'm sure we can. And that was considered moderating her position. No, we can't. Not if you believe that you are better at making my decisions. Yeah. There's just not a compromise on that. And Nancy Mace... Nancy Mace is the same way. I mean, she, she was is. like, oh, yes. let's quit. But, you know, we are we're making a mistake politically emphasizing abortion and da, 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 da. And then she's on Bannon's basement hanging out with him. It's like these these women are, you know, Trojan horses for really bad policies, really bad policies. Don't let their rhetoric fool you because their record is much different. Donald Trump is the man who put Kate Cox in this position. And if he is president of the United States, that means there is a Republican Congress that will enact in a national abortion ban that he will sign. Like, that is what people need to know. And they need to know that that means if you live in a place where you think you're okay, I'm in New York, I'm in California, I have a blue legislature, I have a blue governor, and you think you're okay, no, you're not. A national abortion ban would supersede that. Yeah, and I was talking to some folks that are performing women's health care in Kansas, and people need to realize that the states where abortion care is still available, they're being overwhelmed with people from out of state. And it it is really interesting. I mean, you look at Illinois, people in Missouri are going to either Kansas or Illinois. We have a state on either side where abortion care is available. But in Texas, you know, they're having to go to Kansas is where they're going. And they are they are providing that abortion care. So these ballot issues matter. A national abortion ban would be disastrous because there would be no place that women could go, especially with a diagnosis like Kate Cox had that occurred when she was 20 weeks pregnant, when they realized that the fetus had a fatal abnormality that was not going to allow her child to to, to live. And it, so it is really scary stuff that is is out there. And I hope people pay attention. And I hope they help the people on Emily's list. And by the way, get busy in Texas. Let's get some endorsements in those uh, Supreme Court races. So all of this rage and emotion that women feel all over the country when they read about this story— And we can channel that into helping these judges feel the consequence of being this far out of step with what should be women's freedoms. Yeah. Thanks, Christina. It's really great to see you. Great to have you on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for talking about this issue. We have to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're shining a spotlight on the United Nations Climate Summit meeting, COP28, and where the U.S. falls in the global fight against climate change. We'll be right back. 
Are you struggling to lower your bad LDL cholesterol, even though you may be taking a statin, swapping steaks for salads, and exercising while listening to this podcast? Ask your doctor if Repatha Evolocumab is right for you. With Repatha, you can dramatically reduce bad cholesterol and the risk of another heart attack while enjoying life, too, because you're human. And with convenient self-administration, you can take Repatha in the comfort of your own home. Do not take Repatha if you're allergic to it. Repatha can cause serious allergic reactions. Signs include trouble breathing or swallowing, or swelling of the face. Most common side effects include runny nose, sore throat, common cold symptoms, flu or flu-like symptoms, back pain, high blood sugar and redness, pain, or bruising at the injection site. Visit Repatha.com or call 1-844-REPATHA. Talk to your doctor today about Repatha. Welcome back. Historically, climate change has not been a defining issue for voters. In 2022, Pew found that only 38% of registered voters said that climate change was, quote, very important to their vote. That's not even in the top 10 of issues. But climate change is becoming harder and harder to ignore, and it's hugely important to young people, which is a constituency that neither party can afford, and certainly that President Biden needs to win re-election. The U.S. is producing a record high in oil right now. It is producing 13 plus million barrels of oil per day. And the question is, has this issue of climate change finally become one that will move the needle in 2024? So we're going to look at some polling first. Yeah. So the extreme heat and wildfires uh, this past summer, I think, are beginning to move that needle, Jen. According it's, it's to It's real life. Yeah. According to the Associated Press, Three-quarters of Americans now say they've been affected by extreme heat. That's up from just 55% just a few months ago, before the summers. And that means Republicans. If you're at 75%, that means a lot of Trump supporters are saying that as well. 64% of the adults in America say that they have recently experienced extreme weather and they believe it was caused or partially caused by climate change. That's up 10 percentage points since April. And then why don't you talk a little bit about the young people? Yes, it is a huge existential issue for the younger generations. A new Lancet study found that 59% of young adults were very or extremely worried about climate change, and nearly half, 45%, said that worries about climate change negatively affected their lives on a daily basis. And even young Republicans are worried about it, too. 47% of voting age Republicans under 30 told Pew that the government was doing too little to combat climate change, compared to just 18% of Republicans that are 65 and older. So huge tranche of young voters in that demographic care about it. Yeah, I mean, Republicans still lag behind Democrats, clearly, in caring about this issue. But fewer than half of the under 30 voters actually participated in the presidential election in 2016. Let's say that again. Fewer than half of eligible voters under 30 voted in 2016. So the question is, okay, this is a big deal to young voters, Joe Biden needs these voters. Certainly, his record on climate change far eclipses that of Donald Trump. Donald Trump wants to make fun of it and thinks that somehow wind turbines kill birds or some bizarre thing he always (laughs) says. When you have this many young people who care about it, how can the Biden campaign use this? And of course, it is juxtapositioned against the fact 
that the Republicans say, oh, the problem with our gas prices is Biden is shutting down oil production. No, we have record oil production right now. Uh, so there is a little mixed message there. What? How would you advise the Biden campaign to use this to yeah. really get these under 30s to vote? Next year. Yeah, this may be where the fragmented media ecosystem can be your friend, because I know that the Biden campaign has a big and sophisticated, involved plan to communicate with young voters digitally around climate change and around the very big record game changing investments that the Biden administration through the Inflation Reduction Act and just and what they're doing, you know, on their own has made on climate change. That is, you know, a very big deal. John Podesta is a good friend of mine. He's charged with implementing the climate change measures for the White House, kind of overseeing all the cabinet agencies in that. And, you know, he's been working on climate change for 40 years. And he's like, I didn't think I would ever see this kind of investment from the U.S. The question is, you know, is it too late? And then in terms of politically, how you communicate that to young voters. So I know that they have an aggressive plan to do that. At the same time, you have the record oil production. The thing is... (laughs) Thing is, Claire, I'm not sure that the Republicans are going to want to highlight the fact that Biden has record oil production. <laughs> so, uh, in the U.S., or that oil production is at a record high. Um, so, you may be able to communicate both things at once. Right. Right. You know, they're not going to want to admit that that's the case. And but. Yeah. You know, keep in mind this COP28 that just wound down. It was very controversial yeah. because it they selected it to occur in Dubai. And the guy that ran it, who oversaw the whole conference, was the CEO of a major country-owned oil company in UAE. So it's a, it's nobody thought that anything good would come of this. There was a lot of distrust and suspicion by climate advocates that this was going to be a joke. They did manage to come out of there for the first time with an yeah. agreement by all these oil-producing countries that it was time to transition away from fossil fuels. And that's a big deal. And I, yeah. I think Biden needs to chalk that up as a win because his folks were working this really hard. I mean, I'm sure John Kerry had been mm-hmm. camped out in Dubai for a month working this and using his skill, particularly one-on-one negotiations, uh, to get this result. And it isn't as much as we would want but as I always said, when we I talked about this issue on the campaign trail, United States has to lead and we have to do the right thing and make these investments in alternative fuel sources and move away from fossil fuels. But if we do and the rest of the world doesn't, we don't get very far. Yeah. So this is not a, a problem that can be solved by just the United States. And you don't want it to be just the United States because then we get into a real competitive disadvantage on the world market. And that is not good for our country either. We don't have the money to invest in anything if we can't continue to compete economically. So this is a big deal. Congratulations to the Biden team for getting something out of this when so many people thought nothing would happen. And so now as part of that, and the fact that you know, there were a lot of oil and gas CEOs. I know the CEO of Exxon was there and that, you know, that kind of raised an eyebrow, like, should we take this seriously? But I think what it what it shows is that the political ecosystem and, and in terms of the corporate America, corporate world, too, 
it's changing, right? People feel the need to show up. They understand they need to have commitments. They understand that that pressure is there not just politically, but also from consumers. So the, the sort of global framework agreements are hard to enforce, but it does show positive movement. And then it, so it's as part of this, what has to happen in the U.S. is that the U.S. will have to release a new emissions reduction plan in 2025. So, you know, that that's not to happen until 2025, but the administration could could jump ahead of that, do that next year um, and show people who care about climate change more more progress on it. And I just don't think given the numbers that you talked about at the beginning where 75% of people are, you know, feel see climate change impacting them, their lives, there is no reason to not lean into this as the critical issue that it is. And right now, gas prices are relatively low. That is always an existential threat to any president um, if those numbers go up, and that's really hurts voters and the pocketbook. But for now, I think you can, you know, it's under control and just like push the advantage on what he's done in climate, how much he cares about it, and how the U.S. is now leading again. Okay, so this has been great, but I really, I have to go bake Christmas cookies. Yeah, you do. You know, the grandchildren are already saying, okay, Cece, are the cookies ready? And I'm afraid they won't come over this weekend if I don't (laughs) have all the cookies ready. So I got to get busy here, you know. And by by the way, let me also say, as we sign off this week, do not worry about the Kansas City Chiefs, Jen. I know you're worried about them. Do I, not worry. I do like them. I do like them. But of course, why? of course. They're very likable, but don't worry because we will have a great game against the fading Bill Bilicek on <gasps> Sunday. I can't even uh, say the names of the Patriots because nobody knows okay. who they are because they're so bad. We will yeah. have a great game on Sunday, and we will once again show the razzle-dazzle and the creativity and the sheer fun that the Chiefs bring to the world of the NFL. America's team. But, you know, my new obsession is Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, come on. Like, look, the poor, like, poor Giants. We need to have something. Like, we, like, let us revel in our, in our Tommy Cutlets for, okay. you know, all the right. rest of the season. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with much more. As always, if you have a question for us, you can send it to how to win questions at NBCUNI.com or you can leave us a voicemail at 646 974 4194 and we might answer it on the pod. This show is produced by Vicki Vergonlina. Jessica Schrecker, and Ivy Green. Our audio engineer is Katherine Anderson. Bryson Barnes is the head of production. Alicia Conley is the senior producer for this show. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.